0: So that was a case where fighting for myself really, really helped, where you have to say, no, I know what this is. I know that what you're saying is wrong.
1: Hi, welcome to VMRA. This is a place where we focus on finding strength through love for God, ourselves, and others in order to heal our minds, bodies, and spirit. Whether you are learning how to set boundaries, finding your own voice, or just need a safe place to feel understood, I hope you join us. So grab a cup of coffee, put your earbuds in, and join us as we learn how to live life better. Hi, welcome to VMRI. this is Angie Schultz. I have my good friend Marie with me again today. And we are actually joining forces because we both have very similar pasts as far as our physical health. I have a couple chronic illnesses and so does she. Um, just a background on my own self is that I had ulcerative colitis diagnosed when I was 17 years old and i ended up having a total colectomy that's where they remove your entire colon and i was given a j pouch which is just a modified um colon that is created from the lower part of your small intestine your small intestine or ileum so every day i experience things that other people just do not experience and things are just not the way that other people experience it I also have a lot of problems with cysts on my ovaries. I also have um, a little bit of arthritis, asthma, and a few other things. And I share all of that because, for one, I think it's important that we are advocates for our own health. Absolutely. And the other thing is that I also think that we need to make sure that we are aware that our emotional health and our physical health are very well-linked. So now that I shared my backstory, I want to now introduce Marie. Hi, Marie. How are Hello, you doing? I am doing great. How about you? I am doing great as well. So um, I shared a little bit about my medical history. Um, what are some of the things, because you have several different inflammatory diseases as well. I do. Um, what are some of them that you experience and how do they affect your life? Well, first of all, I think
0: that um, I was dealing with a autoimmune disorder for much more of my life than I thought and I thought that it was normal to just feel rotten all the time and then later on as my autoimmune disorder was more diagnosed or that it was recognized that it was autoimmune then they started pointing to some of the symptoms that I had even when I was growing up and I realized that this has been going on much longer than I thought but I also have type 2 diabetes I have fibrocystic breast disease, which is a brother or sister to like polycystic ovarian syndrome. It causes a hormone imbalance, makes you more likely to have diabetes, and it makes it more difficult to control. And I also am dealing with a tremendous amount of chronic pain tied to whatever autoimmune disorder I have that we don't really know what it is. And the truth is a lot of autoimmune disorders go completely undiagnosed because they know that your body's attacking itself, but they can't figure out why or what's causing it. And so you just have to deal with the symptoms, and that's about all you can hope for. And that's frustrating. You understand how frustrating that is, too.
1: You have long COVID, too. I do. Did you mention that one already? I did not. Is that considered an inflammatory disease, or what exactly those that have long those that experience long COVID after COVID, um, how, is that an inflammatory disease or? It is still
0: so, so new. So they're only figuring this out in little bits, but it appears that there's two different kinds of long haul COVID. So the first kind is when your body doesn't create enough of immune, an immune response. These are the people that run a fever for over a year and just really can't seem to get over COVID. The second kind is when you overcreate an immune response and your body attacks itself and that's the kind that i have where widespread inflammation extreme pain not running a fever not testing positive for covid but definitely dealing with long-term illness re- that is a result of covid
1: so did it exacerbate what you already were experienced or is this a, just a totally new experience
0: they don't even know some of the symptoms i had before but Whatever is happening, it has been an extreme response in me, and we're just trying to deal with that response as it comes.
1: So one thing that I, because we have been on a past podcast together, and you've talked a little bit about your childhood trauma mm-hmm. already, and honestly, I think that anybody who's gotten into adulthood probably has experienced Some, childhood trauma. Something, right? <laughs> and But sometimes it's more severe than others. Right. I Actually, had been looking up a lot of different studies on the psychosomatic um, psychology behind the inflammatory diseases and childhood trauma, and I know that Shanta, it says here, Shanta Dubey, PhD, and Elisa Fairweather, PhD, as well as Janet B. Croft, PhD, among others, had a study done in San Diego, California, and. One thing I found very interesting here is they said 64% of their, they had a, about 15,357 adults that they had studied, and 64% of those that had a chronic illness that was an inflammatory disease, such as like rheumatoid arthritis, um, type 2 diabetes, um, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, lupus, mm-hmm. I could go on and on. But 64% of those that were diagnosed with one of those diseases reported at least one. They were actually going to send me home the very next day, but I knew I was much sicker. Um, I could go into it further, but um, I ended up going, talking to the head nurse at the time and telling her, you know what, I would really like to have this elective. At that time, it was elective still for me. Surgery, and um, when I went in to talk to her, She's like, okay, and she sent me back to my room. Well, when I went back to my room, because I knew I was a lot sicker than they realized I was. So they had already had a colonoscopy scheduled for me for the following morning. And so I went back to my room. It was at 2 o'clock in the morning. Then all of a sudden, I had a really bad reaction. And suddenly, they ended up doing the colonoscopy as soon as I woke up the next morning. And they, my doctor actually said it was the sickest colon he had ever seen. Wow. And they had to have a nurse sitting next to me for the next 24 hours as they, because they did not want it to be a rush surgery, because then I wouldn't be able to have um, connection from top to bottom. I would have had to have an ostomy bag permanently. I did have an ostomy bag for like six months or so, maybe eight months. The nurse was sitting there because they were actually afraid that my colon was going to burst. I did not end up getting, having that happen. So they were able to do the full normal surgery. So that was good. But yeah, I almost died that way. And then a few months later, I had a pulmonary embolism and that was kind of scary too. So
0: that's, that's, that's a lot of people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But I was in the hospital at the time that it was, that it happened. So they had a technician actually come in and she was just checking my blood pressure and because i had mentioned that i just felt kind of off and then all of the sudden she turns to my mom and she says i'm going to call everybody in here and that she pressed some sort of button i do not know what she pressed but then everybody on the floor i swear ended up in that room Mm -hmm. and I was very calm during that, I think, because I was not getting the proper oxygen I need. <laughs> my mom, though, I think that was trauma for my mom. I'm sure it was. <laughs> because she said that she had never seen anything like that and how seriously they took it. It was a big deal. And, I, I of course, they didn't know for sure it was a pulmonary embolism. But I remember um, they rushed me back to get either a... CAT scan or MRI or something like that. I don't know what they did. And they um, were already giving blood thinners within just a couple minutes back at my um, room. So, but yeah, I've had I've had lots of different little things like that.
0: <laughs> so when you were you were 17.
1: I was 17 when I was diagnosed, but I was actually 20 when 20 that happened. 20 when that happened? Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you feel like you kind of had to fight for your health because you knew you were sicker? Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, I did not know to. I, as we've talked in the past, I'm an extreme pacifist. I was not letting people know how sick I was. And I think that might be a big part of why I got so sick. So I, I was running like probably 101 fever for several months. And um, I was telling people I'm, I'm really sick. And you know, you can tell somebody you're really sick but they're not you. So unless you're describing exact symptoms or all of that, people don't realize like how bad you are. I was throwing up every meal I had, and I was very sick. I was very tired. I was going to college, and I was getting straight A's during that time because I was studying. I was literally studying or sleeping. I was not living a healthy, normal life, but I felt that I should not have a voice. And then when I went into the, I went to the doctor, and I said I'm really struggling. And I would call the doctor and be like, "Oh, I'm still having symptoms." And so they'd be like, "Okay, well we'll increase your um, medication." Yeah. And I was taking 24 pills a day. Oh my word! Before when I finally went into the hospital, so I met my doctor, and he goes, "Oh." He goes, yeah, I think we're gonna to have to admit her, you know, and he just did a, just an exam of my blood pressure and all of that. And so he admitted me into the hospital. They didn't do a colonoscopy yet. And it wasn't until the, and then um, while I was there, I just wanted to go home and they knew that, and they felt that going home would probably help my mental health. And so they had scheduled for me to go home after about three weeks. Um, but that he wanted to do a colonoscopy. And then I kind of shared that other part of the story already. But during that time, I wasn't telling them. I wasn't telling anybody exactly how bad I really was doing. And I don't think I knew I was supposed to. Mm. That experience has really shaped me, and now I will fight for my own health, I will fight for my daughter who has type 1 diabetes health because I have learned that doctors only know so much, and I'm not blaming doctors because I think right. doctors are amazing. Well, they I, don't know you. Right. And I've even had a doctor tell me that, well, you are your best advocate because mm-hmm. you know what's really going on. Right? They can, They only know what we tell them and they only know in the way that we know how to tell them. Because I think that can be sometimes, like we can say we have a headache, and so they're like, oh, okay, this. So I think there's a few things. You need to have a doctor who's willing to listen because sometimes you don't have that. And then you also have to be able to learn how to advocate for yourself and know the words to use. Mm -hmm. And when I say words to use, I don't mean medical terminology. I mean saying... Describing describing and actually just being firm about it being like no i know this is bad so i had a abscess in my abdomen for from 2001 to 2007 cuz it was it was found in 2007 and i kept going to the doctor and telling them i have a lot of pain down there and you know they would talk they would look and they'd find a cyst and I started to try to explain, no, I know what a cyst feels like, because when I have that, and finally the words I ended up being able to say is, this is not a healthy pain. It's, I said, the cyst sometimes feels like a surgery pain. It feels like it is healthy pain. It's hard to explain. And when I said that this is just not a healthy pain, all of a sudden the doctor started realizing, okay, there's something else going on that's not making sense. And I think it was being able to describe that. But, I, but the thing is, is from 2001 to 2007, I was going regularly to the doctor trying to explain this. So this was not like I had to be persistent and consistent. And that's something that I had to learn is how to fight for my own health.
0: And it's hard because when a doctor's being dismissive or when they're saying something like, well, I know better than you, you know so uh, and we also come from a generation where our grandparents and our parents even were told you do what the doctor says they know better than you you do everything the doctor says right and so what's happening is that they're saying to you well did you do what the doctor said right (laughs) you you're going okay the doctor's not right here he's wrong and I need to fight for myself So I have a couple stories to share. So the first one is when I was pregnant with my oldest. So we got down to the time, it's getting close, I knew exactly the day that I got pregnant. I can tell you exactly the day because it was, she was an oops, she was an oops, and there was one time that we did it before we got married and that's when she was conceived and so I knew what day she got pregnant. So when the doctor um, said to me, oh this is your due date, I knew he was a week off because I knew when I got pregnant.
1: Right.
0: So when we get down to the wire there, I'm having contractions 24 hours a day. They're 6 to 10 minutes apart, and I'm miserable. I'm not sleeping. I can't eat hardly anything. I'm miserable. So we go to the hospital. They give me something for the pain. The contractions slow down to about 12 minutes apart. They send me home. I'm still... In a tremendous pain, having so much trouble. So we go back to the hospital a second time, and I am having contractions, right? And, but nothing's happening. I'm not progressing normally or anything like that. And the gal across the hallway from me was having these traction, because at the time, at the hospital, this little hospital that we were in with only five delivery rooms, they had monitors in each room that showed what other women we're doing so that the nurses could keep an eye on them too. So we're watching her, these little blips of contractions on the monitor, and mine are like really high, much higher than hers. And I'm, not, I'm just not progressing, and I was just miserable. And that the next morning, they sent me home, and we walked past the nursery, and her, her baby's laying in the nursery, and I just cried all the way home. So when we went to the doctor that week, and he checked me and I still hadn't progressed, Larry said, you don't understand. Her contractions are so hard that if she's walking through a room, she'll actually go down on her knees to try to get through it. And the doctor went, really? So like really hard contractions. He said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. That was a Monday. Um, He said, what we're gonna do is we're going to go ahead and schedule an induction for Wednesday because you're miserable. And if you don't have the baby, by Wednesday we'll induce you. So we go home. Monday night I didn't sleep at all. All night long my mother-in-law was on one side and Larry was on the other and sitting on the couch and a contraction would hit and I'd squeeze his hand and You know, he felt like all the bones were breaking in his hand. And when we went in to, on Tuesday night, I said, I can't deal with the pain anymore. So we went in about 11 o'clock Tuesday night and they gave me something for the pain so I could actually sleep. And the doctor came in and he said, we are definitely moving forward with this. And that is how we found out that my body does not progress. That doctor listened to me. And I had to be induced for all five of my children because my body will get stuck, right at about two centimeters and won't move forward at all, no matter what we do. So he always has been the doctor that listened. He has always been the doctor that I could say, no, this is really wrong, and he would listen to me. So one time though, I had an issue, I was running a fever, and I had some issues with my left breast. It was hard, it was red, there were like striations going up from the the breast into nearly my shoulder, And I've had five kids and nursed them all. I know what mastitis is. But my youngest was 10. They don't consider you a risk at 45 for mastitis. No, I was 44 then. Um, Don't consider you a risk for mastitis at 44 with a 10-year-old as your youngest. They think more of things like breast cancer. So I couldn't see my doctor so he sent me to a PA lovely young woman beautiful charming definitely smart completely well spoken just very lovely young woman and she said okay so what we want to do is we're going to get you in for a mammogram because what i'm worried about is inflammatory breast cancer and i had told her about the striations and how they were growing they were moving up and that i was sure it was mastitis and she didn't hear me (laughs) i even said you need to look at this because i don't want to wait i want an antibiotic i don't want to wait for a a mammogram i think we should i think it's mastitis so she went well what are those red marks i had already told her three times that they were that what they were she said did you scratch yourself i said no i woke up like this it's hard it's hot i'm running a fever Like." they the red lines are growing that means infection we need to deal with this and she went oh and I said listen would you be willing to just give me an antibiotic now I'll still do the 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 ultrasound and the the mammogram later but I really think this is mastitis and if we sit on this I'm just going to get worse and worse and I had even said to Larry when she had left the room for just a minute and then came back I said to Larry if she doesn't Give me an antibiotic. We're going to the ER and getting an antibiotic because I'm not doing this. So she did go ahead and agree to give me the antibiotic. And I got well. And when it was all said and done, we went and got the mammogram, which was a week and a half later. If I had waited, I would have been very, very sick. Uh, a week and a half later, they went, oh, looks like you have sign of an infection
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> on the mammogram. They're like, uh-huh, yeah.
0: Yep. So that was a case where fighting for myself really really helped, where you have to say, no, I know what this is, I know that what you're saying is wrong. And I later saw my actual physician, the one who had delivered my children, and he said, you have to understand what happened. He said, we had a mom just a few weeks ago, eight months after her baby was born, who had everything that seemed like mastitis. And so for about three months, we were giving her different antibiotics, trying to figure out how to deal with this mastitis. And it turned out that she had inflammatory breast cancer, and by the time we caught it, it was, it was terminal with an, with an eight- or nine-month-old child. He said, so everybody in the office right now is very, very concerned with that at the moment, and I understand that. But she That walked, shows
1: vigilance on her part, too.
0: That's true, but she walked through that door having already decided what she was going to do before she even talked to me. And everything that I said to her went in one ear and out the other. Because everybody knows, even people who aren't doctors, if you have a spot or a sore or something like that, you've got a red line moving up your arm, let's say you have a spore on your wrist, and you have a red line moving up your arm, that means you go to the ER right away because you've got an infection of some kind.
1: It's not just about fighting. It's also realizing when to give up. Yeah. And go to a new doctor. I will share my, one of my own stories. Um, I was in, I w- actually I had just, it was right after I had gotten married and I had a lot of, pain with my periods that seemed not normal. And I also was um, going through pads like one every hour. Um, I'd even be wearing super absorbency tampons and I'd go through both. Mm -hmm. And it was getting really, really bad. And my periods were lasting um, nine to 14 days. And I kept going to this doctor and she kept saying, Some people just have really bad periods. I was young. I was 21, 22 years old, and I didn't know better. And so I kept going back to her saying, I'm really struggling. I ended up moving and going to another doctor, and I told him the exact same stuff I told her and just saying what she had mentioned. And he goes, I want to do a DNC, see if that helps. I got the DNC done. And amazingly, my periods were much lighter, still very long, still painful, but it was a world of a difference because when you are having to change your pad every hour, otherwise oh, you yeah. are staining. I was wearing, I wore black pants pretty much for an entire year because I was having, there were many months I was on my period longer than I was off my period.
0: That's horrifying.
1: And hormone, I, my body does something funny when it comes to hormones, like I... Whenever I've done the pill, I'll bleed on the off pill, and I won't on the on. Well, the opposite. I'll bleed on the on pill, and I won't on the off pill. So I bleed three weeks off one. I don't know why my body does that. Um, But I tried all of that stuff, and for whatever reason, we could not get my periods to... Regulate or anything. Yeah. But it's... That's one of the things you have. Like if you're if you know in your gut that what's going on is not normal and your doctor's not taking you seriously, that's when it's time to start looking for another doctor.
0: Larry had the same thing. You know, he had both his hips replaced what 4 years ago now I think. I think it's been 4 years. And he went to a chiropractor for back pain that he hadn't been able to go see for a while. And that chiropractor did x-rays, and when he came back he said, Larry, I've never seen hips so terrible. I don't like to send people for surgery, but you need your hips replaced, and you need them replaced now. Larry went to—we had to find a, a, you know, primary physician, and so Larry found somebody. So my husband went to him. Guy wouldn't even look at the x-rays that he brought from the chiropractor, and it took an instance where I was actually finally able to go with him before I was like no we're not going back to this guy not never again time for us to move on to a different physician and he's really happy with one he has now but if a doctor is not listening to you you need to find a new doctor you do you need to find someone who will listen to you and that is even more important when we're talking about autoimmune disorders and I'd like to talk in chronic pain and I'd like to talk to you more about that too So, I have a cousin who has been dealing with a very severe form of fibromyalgia for about a decade. And it took her years, nine years, to find doctors that would listen to her. I was fortunate to find the doctor that I did who understands the link between um, trauma and chronic pain issues and chronic conditions and he sent me to people who could help me navigate those. And so I had the kind of support that I needed right away. And this doctor also, he's moved away from the COVID clinic now, but he is working in a trauma and pain management clinic. And so he has worked with me really hard to try to find some effective ways of managing my pain so I don't lose my life entirely. And when I went said to that doctor, I need something to just have on hand for the very worst days, the same thing I said to the doctor's office that I went to for 13 years. I said, I just need something to just get through the very worst days. He wrote me a prescription, and he said, this should last you about a year. Not for every day, not for all the time, about a week's worth if you were taking it consistently but just enough to get me through for the for the next year to manage the very, very worst days. And that's a doctor who listens, who does what's right, who thinks his patient's state of mind and their own pain matters. And the hard thing is
1: when you have doctors say, ah, it's all in your head. Well, I think we talked about some really <laughs> amazing things today about how to fight for yourself and... Um, get the help you need and the reality of how these illnesses actually start. And so a big part of that, too, is of advocating for yourself, too, is starting to get therapy, starting to do those things to help your mental health. Mm -hmm. Really start working on getting through some of that stuff, because if you are continually experiencing the trauma or re-experiencing the trauma that you experienced when you were a child, your health is not going to get better. And that's, I think, a big part of it as well. And that's one we didn't really touch much on, but I also think is important to know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I am so glad that we had this opportunity to talk today. Thank you so much. Thank Um, you. You brought a lot to the table. Hope we can meet again sometime. God bless. Thank you so much for listening until the end of our episode. I hope you join us next week. I love hearing from my listeners, so feel free to email me at vmrahealing at gmail.com. VMRA is spelled V-I-A-M-A-R-E, healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G. You can also check out our website at com. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Please join me next week. God bless.